With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham. Your guide to the New York Jets sports and much more. And now, your host, Dan Burnham. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of This is the Jet Life. And here we are, the end of the road, the end of the 2019 season. It's finally caught up to us. New York Jets and its fan base is left here with a 7-9 record, forced to watch other teams play playoff games, meaningful games, something that we've only dreamed of for what feels like a lifetime. And all we can do is look ahead, try to make some adjustments, and hope that we come into next year better than we left this one. But before we can start looking ahead, we got to do a little bit of reflection. we got to take a step back from everything, look at how this year went as a whole now, because as it's happening, you get caught up in the narratives of what's going on that week, and you know everything seems like life or death. You know, got to fire the coach, got to get this guy back, he's got to go, he's got to play more, all these things. And you know what, when it's all said and done, we're sitting here at a 7-9 record. It was not the most pathetic season in the world, so let's not act like it was. There's a lot of things that we can build on, but there's a ton of stuff that we have to improve. And that's what the purpose of this episode is. To kind of do a season wrap of 2019, go over the coaching, the players, team stats, performances, all that stuff, what was good, what was bad, and... You know, it'll leave us in a spot where we feel comfortable closing out the 2019 season, burying it forever, and then from there, in future episodes, we'll move on to looking ahead of the 2020 season. So today, will be a wrap-up episode of 2019. Now, I skipped the last two weeks for holidays, Christmas, New Year's, missed the Bills game, missed the Steelers game, we won both of those games, both nice wins. I don't care what the circumstances were. I don't care who's playing quarterback for the Steelers. I don't care who's playing quarterback or any position for the Buffalo Bills. Beating those two teams, some AFC rivals, one AFC East rival, is always sweet. I don't care what the stakes are, what the point in the season is. I feel better watching a New York Jets win, and we got two of them. So the New York Jets close out the season with a 7-9 and record, which is way better than they started, beginning this whole thing with a 1-7 and record. We ended up 6-2 and in the last eight games. There's something to be said for that. I think that there's something to be impressed with by that. You know, I've had my share of thoughts on Adam Gase. But I'll be honest. I called for him to be fired many weeks back when it was at a very, very low point in the season. And honestly, part of me, like, I still don't think that he's a great coach. I don't think that he's the best long-term answer forever, like, of all the choices that we could possibly have. But, like, I, I kind of feel a little guilty about that because it's not like me to rush ahead and say, this guy needs to be fired in the middle of a first season with a team. And so, uh, you know... We'll do a little bit of reflection of that, where we're at now. Two more wins under our belt, 7-9 and nine record, and there's a lot to get to. So we're going to do a quick little uh, recap of what's going on right now with the New York Jets and the playoffs as a whole. Going to touch base with a little father time. Going to bring that into the podcast early this week because I think it's got some relevance, some stuff that I can build off for the remainder of the podcast. Um, it just makes more sense in the beginning this week. Going to talk about J.D., Joe Douglas's first year as general manager. It's not really a full year because he didn't do a draft. He didn't do a free agency or anything like that, but he came in after the draft, and, you know, he started making some changes. We're going to talk about that. We're going to go over the coaching. 
Adam Gase and the coordinators. What was good? What was bad? We're going to take a little pit stop at the cooler for some what's on tap. And then we're going to go over the player seasons and the team season. We're going to go over team ranks, the team stats, stuff we've been harping on all year long. Those team stats, you know, where did we finish? Where did the team finish compared to the rest of the league? And we're going to go over some of the player stats real quick and talk about the underperformers of the New York Jets and the overperformers. You know, who met expectations and exceeded them and which guys left us wanting more? I'm going to pick three stars for the entire season, give this entire 2019 season for the New York Jets a letter grade, close this thing out, close the book on 2019, and then future podcasts will move on to 2020, free agency, the draft, and all that stuff. We're not going to focus on that today. We're just going to wrap up 2019. So let's do it. Before I get into any of that, I need to remind everybody, if you enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe anywhere that you listen to your podcast. It's available on a ton of different platforms and networks. I know it's on like Overcast, Spotify, iTunes, Pocket Cast. Um, There's a bunch more. So wherever you're listening to it, if you like it, a review and a rate goes a long way, and I really appreciate the feedback. Um, Aside from that, these episodes are always available on gangrenenation.com, as this is a Gangreen Nation podcast, part of that SB Nation family over there. So you can find these episodes on there, a little article that I write about each one. You can engage in the comments and all that. And if you want to engage elsewhere, Twitter's the place, at Jets underscore Dan is the handle. You can talk to you about anything New York Jets. I got a lot of time on my hands now. There's no New York Jets football going on. I'm just looking for debates. I'm looking for conversations. You know, tell me why we're not going to be good next year. Tell me why we are going to be good next year. I will, uh, I'll gladly discuss any of that stuff with anybody. So that is that. I guess it is time to begin with a quick recap of where we are right now. We are sitting back after wildcard weekend. The New York Jets season ended a little over a week ago, left us at 7-9, and nine, which was a big improvement over what we thought we were going to get. I mean, we at one point thought that we were maybe going to finish with the worst record in the NFL. We were talking about guys like Chase Young. We were talking about top five picks, all that. I mean, we got to just shed all of that right now. That was all premature. All of that hype of, oh, this high draft pick, it never came to fruition. This team was actually better than we thought it was. And, and this is one thing that I just want to say, one of my big things that I've I've been dealing with is a lot of people are telling me that for one reason or another, the New York Jets 7-9 and record isn't as impressive as a 7-9 and record. There are certain things, even though the Jets had injuries, even though we had mono, all these things, there's excuses both way, but, you know, the Bills weren't really trying to win the game, and the Steelers, well, they didn't have a great quarterback, and yada yada, and it's really more important that the Jets lost to the Bengals and lost to the Dolphins than it was that they beat the Cowboys and that they beat the Steelers and the Bills. Those weren't as important. When it comes down to it, a 7-9 record is a 7-9 record. You can chalk it up any way you want. You can talk about schedule. You can talk about circumstance. You can talk about injuries, this, that, and the other. But every single team has their own story. Every single team has the games that got away, the games they should have won, and the games they somehow found a way to win. Some teams got lucky at certain times. Some teams got unlucky. But both cases happened for every team. No matter who you are. If you're the New England Patriots, oh, you made the playoffs, everything. Oh, but we could have beat the Dolphins if we'd done this better, if we had just stopped Ryan Fitzpatrick, whatever it is. There were changes that could have been made. There were little games here and there that should have been avoided, should have been taken advantage of, and the New York Jets are no different. When you end with 7-9, and nine, it doesn't matter what the circumstances were because this goes down in history. We're never going to look back. We don't know why the Arizona Cardinals had the record that they did in 2004. We don't know exactly what circumstances were against them. Oh, they played this team and that guy was injured, so they played a backup quarter. Those things are dead. Those things are gone. It's a 7-9 record and it's not that bad. 
It's almost average. Eight and eight would be average. Seven and nine, just a hair underneath that. First year with a head coach, young quarterback, tons of injuries, all sorts of stuff. We won't make a bunch of excuses, but seven and nine is where we're at. And it was a step in the right direction. It was better than the year before. And it was better than the year before that. So it's hard to be too upset. At the same time, we have to hold ourselves to a higher standard. Right? We can't just be, oh, 7-9 is good enough. We're happy with that. we got to look for playoffs. I mean, the step in the right direction, sure, that's great. But it only means something if it's a stepping stone to a good record, to a winning record, and to a playoff team. Right? From, to go from 4 wins to 5 wins to 7 wins is all well and good. If you go back to 6 wins, it means nothing. If you go up from 7 wins and you can get it to 8, you can get it to 9, 10, 11, I mean, you're starting to build something here. A nice, healthy approach to getting it, not just some volatile, we were three wins, and then we paid a ton of money in free agency, and we got up to 11 wins really quick, and then those things fall apart so fast. We saw it with Mike McCagnon when we got Ryan Fitzpatrick and Brandon Marshall and a bunch of those big-time names, and we were really good right away. It was like, oh my gosh, we might be a playoff team. We just missed out on the playoffs. Thank you, Bills. And then right after that, everything fell apart. I mean, that team had no sustained success, no sustainability. And the team that we're building now is slowly moving in the right direction, incrementally. There are still huge weaknesses on this team. We have no corners. We have no pass rush. We're losing receivers. And then we have no offensive line. So those are big deals. But a few things, we have some star players. Le'Veon Bell, Jamal Adams. We've got a great young quarterback who's going to be awesome in this league, Sam Darnold. We've got some really good linebackers. Not only C.J. Mosley and Avery Williamson, but we found some diamonds in the rough this year in James Burgess, Neville Hewitt. Blake Cashman played some significant minutes. The defensive line can stop the run like no other. We were able to get rid of Leonard Williams, who was supposed to be one of our best defensive players, turn that into draft capital, and have what looked to be an even better defensive line. Young guys not getting paid all that much up front. We got a young stud in Quinn Williams who's going to be just fine. We got some money, and we got a general manager who understands how to get this thing done. So for a lot of reasons, I'm super hopeful about this team. I think 7-9 and nine is a step in the right direction. It's not just jumping from, we were a four-win team. When this season began, I said 9-7. and seven. I'm an optimist. I always am. A lot of people were saying 8-8. Eight and eight. A lot of people were saying 7-9. and nine. And that's where we ended. So I guess when it's all said and done, it was a weird year. A lot of weird stuff happened. Adam Gase didn't make handling the media any easier. New York absolutely shredded the New York Jets all season long, but it wasn't as bad as it is sometimes, like the Rex Ryan days when we were an actual like circus. It wasn't as circusy this year. It was just like, oh man, these Jets just can't get out of their own way, and just more bad fortune for us over and over again. But we made it through it. I am convinced there's no way that next year can be nearly as bad circumstantially and situationally as this year was. There's no way. There's no way that your quarterback gets some weird kissing disease for four weeks of the season and you lose your best player, C.J. Mosley, and yada, yada, all that. It's going to get better. I'm looking forward to it. So that's my little brief uh, optimistic spin towards that. Now moving forward through this stuff, uh, first thing I want to talk about real quick is the playoffs. Great playoffs because the Patriots are out and they're falling apart. You can see it. I don't have to go over. You watch that defense, it started falling apart. That offense... Don't tell me they don't have good weapons. The Patriots have great weapons across the board. They've been putting a lot of draft capital in it. Bill Belichick drafting guys first round, second round, trading for players, picking up former first rounders, putting together this unit, and it's bad. It's really bad. Tom Brady's on his way down. The Bills lose as well. So finally, for the first time ever, we can sit back and watch the playoffs and not worry about oh, who's going to beat the Patriots, who's going to beat the Patriots. We can just sit back and be like, I don't really care who wins. Let's just watch some good football. And, you know, we really got good football the first week of the playoffs. 
aside from, you know, we wanted the Patriots to lose, we wanted the Bills to lose, that happened, but there were good football games across the board, good games, and Uncle Josh came in for the Eagles. If Josh McCown won for the Philadelphia Eagles, that would have been, it would have made this the perfect wildcard weekend. That was the only thing missing, you know, the cherry on top of a great weekend. But the playoffs full swing right now, we're enjoying that, and uh, hopefully it continues to be as good as it's been so far. All right, so the next segment I want to touch on is called Father Time, a segment where my father writes me a little something via email telling me what he thinks. What are his thoughts on the New York Jets? What have they done this week, this year? What are they going to do? Whatever it is, free reign for dad. I'm going to read his excerpt for this week. But before that, quick commercial break. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, so we are going to do Father Time right now, where my father, David Burnham, has written me a little something special about the New York Jets and his thoughts on the season before and after where we're at right now. So this is this week's Father Time submission, written by David Burnham, read by Daniel Burnham. Starting 1-6 and six and ending 6-2 and two is a nice change in fortune. Injuries play a big part in the NFL, and no other team suffered more injury losses and IR designations than the Jets. I've had my issues with Adam Gase, but let's remember, it's his first year. He had a change in GM immediately. He had a running back that decided to miss OTAs, voluntary practices, and decided to miss as much practice as possible. He was saddled with a staff that he didn't hire. Both Boyer and Williams were unacquainted with Gase at the start, and Sam had mono. It's hard enough to be a first-year head coach, but Gase really had to swim upstream at the beginning. The season was essentially ruined by week six. But looking ahead to 2020, here's the butter side up version. Going forward, the Jets have excellent knowledge of their depth going into next year. Tens of players played meaningful, telling minutes, and many shined. This knowledge will have a huge impact on the Jets. Next year, expect the Jets' healthy defense to be solid. With the addition of a good corner, the re-signing of Brian Poole, the defense will be able to compete with Greg Williams yet again. On offense, Sam will be healthy in a second-year offense. We know that Joe Douglas will be beefing up the O-line in the draft with a, solid bunch, with a solid bunch of draftees available. Add a receiver, a young stud running back, we will have the two more games that we needed to be vying for a playoff spot in Week 17. Sure, the Jets do play a tougher schedule, traveling far against the NFC West and the AFC West next year, but our division is clearly up for grabs in 2020. Let's go Jets. End scene. So that is this week's Father Time, written by David Burnham. Thank you, Dad. I appreciate it, as always. And I really like that it's just got an optimistic spin to it. So it starts off negative, as this season did. We were all super negative. But just like this Father Time, like it, it ended up getting better. And there is reason to be hopeful for it. And I'm glad that he touched on all that. And I wanted to read this one early because a bunch of the themes and everything kind of go along with what he wrote here. I didn't want to just be rehashing it at the end. I wanted to start with my dad's thoughts because he wrote, you know, we write our things separately. Um, they just happen to like father, like son, they happen to be very similar and kind of coincide with each other. And number one, the main thing he mentioned, we will be competing for the AFC East next year. He agrees. Patriots are on the way out. 
This division is up for grabs, and that's going to be a lot of fun. Finally, a race in the AFC. The way that in the NFC East, it was a race all season. A really bad race, but anybody could win. They were, like, trading for Leonard Williams in New York, trying to, maybe we can win the division if we have him. Like, crazy stuff like that, because imagine fighting for a division, thinking that maybe you're one or two pieces away from winning the division. Maybe getting a bye. Who knows? Home playoff games. Stuff the New York Jets can be looking forward to. No more wild cards. You know? If we get a wild card and make it to the playoffs, whatever, that's great. But we can win a division now. I believe that. I think this team is going to be good enough to do it. I think they're going to be there soon. And my dad agrees. One of the really good points he made is that, like, we played a bunch of backups this year. And that means that by playing them, we got to see all those guys play. And, you know, you're obviously not going to take your backup players over your starters. You don't ever want to do that. But... Some teams played starters all year, didn't get to see what they had in their depth. I mean, we saw every single middle linebacker on the roster, every edge rusher, defensive lineman, wide receiver, everything, you name it, everybody had an opportunity to shine, and the cream did rise to the top this year. We found our guys. There are a few clear ones that are like, this guy, obviously, 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 you resign them. Bring them back, keep them on this roster. They've earned it. There were opportunities to earn spots. And the guys that are coming back healthy next year, they should be able to contribute basically right away. C.J. Mosley, Chris Herndon, the list goes on of guys that we just didn't really have this year. Avery Williamson. And these guys should just be like plug and play, basically ready to go. Maybe they'll be a step or two slow with injury. We're not sure if Quincy Nuno will ever be able to play successful football again. Some of them more hobbled than others. But you're just adding that into the mix to a team that we already had, a team that already went 7-9, and nine, that was improving, getting better when the year ended. So there's a lot of stuff to be excited about, and my dad's feeling it as well. And the main point that he really drove home at the beginning was that, you know, the cards were stacked against Adam Gase. There's no question. Regardless of how you feel about Adam Gase, his coaching, his play style, any of that stuff, the way that he handles the media, the cards were stacked against him. He didn't pick his coaching staff, as my dad said. He didn't have a general manager even for an entire season, and he's only been here for one. He had to install new offense new coordinators, all the, the whole nine, missing players all year long. Tough season for him. And we finished 7-9, and 6-2 six and two at the end. Finally getting in a little bit of a rhythm. Was the soft part of the schedule? Partially. Was the team just getting better? You know, when we played the Raiders, that was no walk in the park. When we played the Cowboys, no walk in the park. Same with the Steelers. They were going to make the playoffs. And thank you very much, because we beat the Steelers, Titans made the playoffs, the Titans beat the Patriots. Vrabel, former Padawan, beating the Jedi. Bill Belichick, awesome to see. New York Jets played a hand in that with their big win over what should have been a playoff team in the Pittsburgh Steelers. So there's a lot of things to be optimistic about. And with that, I'm going to go over to the next kind of segment of this, kind of segue this into Joe Douglas. As he mentioned, came midseason. And I want to kind of break down what Joe Douglas did for us. He didn't do a ton. He wasn't here for the draft. He wasn't here for free agency. What he was here for was the ability to sign free agents, you know, after the fact, guys like Ryan Khalil, bring in guys like, you know, we brought in Paul Warlow, he didn't play. We brought in some practice squad guys and some waiver picks that didn't really play. We made a few trades for guys like Nate Harrison, Alex Lewis. I think both of those were relatively successful. We brought in Demarius Thomas, who ended up playing serviceable minutes for the New York Jets. Um, we tried kickers out, Kari Vedvik first. That one didn't work. Tried Sam Ficken next. That one didn't work. Joe Douglas really, his only impact on this team has just been picking up scrap heap players. Guys that either were retired, like Ryan Khalil, or guys that weren't on rosters, 
like Kari Vedvik, Paul Warlow, and just say, hey, come play here. We'll give you something, place to play. I mean, he didn't have he didn't have great luck with all of those, I wouldn't say. I would say that Ryan Khalil was kind of a botch. I would say that Kari Vedvik is kind of a botch. When you're looking at it, though, and the options are none, and you're just saying, is there anything that I can do to get my fingerprint on this roster and make it a little bit better than it was before? He tried to do it. He gave us a chance. And it's not like we got rid of, you know, it's not like we couldn't have gotten Sam Ficken the whole time. Okay, we can go right back to that guy. It's not like we didn't get Jonathan Harrison. He was going to be our starting center regardless. We brought in Ryan Khalil, tried that, didn't work. You know, Harrison goes right back in. Failed experiment, yes. But you could tell that he had clear plans to try to make this team better. He saw that cornerback was an issue, tried to get Nate Harrison. He brought in Maurice Kennedy. He saw the offensive line was an issue. He brought in Alex Lewis and Ryan Khalil. I just like that he was thinking the right way, addressing the positions that I thought needed to be addressed. And in reality, the best thing about him is that he's going to draft well for us. We've had a bad drafting general manager for a long time, Mike McCagnan, a guy that didn't know which way was up, didn't have a clue what he was doing, and constantly was trying to find his, like, you know, his project player, his diamond in the rough from some D3 school that no one had ever heard of, some really sneaky, ooh, who does Mike McCagnan know about that we don't know about? It's like, we don't know about him because he's no good. Sorry, Nathan Shepard. You had a better year this year, but let's not act like you were worth a third-round draft pick. And then those injured players that he'd taken and be like, well, this guy's never played, but if he does, maybe he'll be good. See, uh, Derek Jones and uh, Jeremy Clark, the two cornerbacks that hardly ever touched the field. Jeremy Clark especially, it never played. You know, LaShawn Austin somehow, in a miracle, <laughs> ended up playing and playing some solid minutes to the New York Jets this year. I thought he was another one of those McCagnon specials that was never going to play, but that's all beside the point. We're away from that now. Joe Douglas is the new guy. He's going to pay attention to the offensive line because he's a former offensive lineman. We're going to see right away. He's going to have some big moves to make, and he's going to do it well. He's going he's gonna to have a clear vision. He's not, you know, Mike McCagnon's vision for a time was like, all right, let's just bring in as many players as we can and try to be, you know, a good team today, regardless of how it happens. Ryan Fitzpatrick, Brandon Marshall, we're going to bring back Daryl Rivas. We're going to do all sorts of crazy things and try to make this team good right now. But it wasn't like built from the ground up. It was just thrown in there. And then it kind of had some success and then it got figured out and then it got old and then it got, you know, started failing. And McCagnon never had anything else going after that again because we were in cap hell for a long time. And then he comes, he spends one more thing this year, and it was a whole mess this year. And whatever with the guys that we signed, he probably was trying to do the same thing again, but this time around Sam Darnold. But Joe Douglas pops in because we were like, all right, you can't do this anymore. No more free reign for this general manager who clearly has no business doing any of this. He's not proven anything to us yet. You know, at one point I thought he had a plan. He didn't. Joe Douglas, I'm sure he will have a plan. Former offensive lineman, he's going to prioritize the offensive line, which is the most important position for the Jets to go after. You got to keep Sam healthy. You got to keep him upright. And we have to make running lanes for Le'Veon Bell. Spoiler alert, Le'Veon Bell is going to be the Jets running back next year. I, if that surprises you, that surprises me. Because Le'Veon Bell's under contract. We can't cut him. It would be We would just eat all of the money if we cut him this year. Which would make no sense because he's obviously better than a guy like Eli McGuire or Trenton Cannon that we'd take instead. Aside from that, he just was in free agency. He literally had anybody in the league could have paid him the $13 million that we just paid him. If you saw him this year and you think now he's more worth it than you did before, then that's probably alarming too because this was easily his worst season statistically. And we didn't have a good offensive line, but he hit the holes pretty soft. 
and he was hobbled here and there a little bit, and he had a bowling thing, whatever it is. But, like, you're not going to look at it right now and be like, well, we didn't want to pay Le'Veon Bell $13 million last year when he was coming back with fresh legs. But now that we saw what he did with the Jets getting 800 rushing yards, we really want him on our team for the same $13 million. And give up some sort of draft capital or another player in a trade? Okay, so if trading is off the table, then what's left here? If we can't trade him, we can't cut him. Oh, yeah, he's going to be on our team. And let's not act like it's so horrible having him, like Adam Gates isn't going to be able to figure it out. I mean, Le'Veon Bell's a really good player, and as his offensive line gets better, as his team gets better, it's all going to work out. I assure you, Le'Veon Bell's going to be just fine. He's going to be a New York Jet. But okay, there's a lot of players and numbers and stats and things, coaches, everything that I want to talk about, so I'm going to start kind of going through all this stuff. Try to not make this an hour and a half long podcast. Try to get us the information that we want. And that begins right now with the coaching staff. And I want to kind of go over how did each guy do, starting with Adam Gase. Let's do the bad stuff first. Bad things about Adam Gase. The optics. All season long, you've heard that word, optics. His press conferences, the way he handled the media, the way he talked about players, Le'Veon Bell specifically, horrible. He was really bad at doing that and made everybody think that he hated everybody and everybody hated him. Now, I'm not too worried about people thinking that somebody doesn't like somebody else or thinking that maybe they're not getting along because at the end of the day, if that's not the case and they're in the locker room getting along just fine, then it doesn't really matter what we think. And I don't see Greg Williams looking for another job or Brant Boyer looking for another job right now. Both guys excelling at their roles. I don't see them trying to leave because Adam Gase is just such a pain to work for. What a bother. I don't see any players that are like, I can't be on this team anymore. I got to get out. So the optics, it was bad. Not the end of the world, but it's just, it's frustrating to watch those press conferences sometimes and just be like, dude, why are you saying that? Just say something right. Diplomatic, normal responses, please. Take some tips from Sam Darnold. Um, Another bad thing, the injuries. We had a ton of injuries this year and you got to blame a little bit of that on the coaching Part of it, maybe the practices, maybe the, the scheduling, whatever it is. Certain things happen, but this is one of the most injured I've ever seen the New York Jets. And it happened right when Adam Gase came in and started changing the, the practice structure and the team, you know, the way that we go through our schedules. Um, so that wasn't good. He's going to have to find a way to maybe lighten it up or find a way to balance the workload so these guys aren't getting injured. Another thing really bad, in-game adjustments. Some games it felt like we came out with a plan. And then after that, when the plan stopped working, the initial one, there was no second plan. There was no way to like, oh, we should try this. And it was just like, we we came in with plan A. We're going to keep trying plan A. But it's not working. But we're not scoring. We're not moving the ball. Like, But we have to. It's the plan, though. With Adam Gates, there just weren't a lot of noticeable in-game adjustments. Points in the game where you thought, wow, he just found the weakness of that team, and now he's exploiting it. Or, wow, he just found, like, the weak cornerback over there, and now he's making sure that we're dialing up plays to really get that guy in bad positions. You know, moving the ball motions before the play to kind of figure out what we had and find our mismatches. Didn't feel like there was a ton of that. The uses of the offensive weapons were bad. The way he used Le'Veon Bell, running up the middle all the time, hardly putting him at wide receiver, not putting him in the slot very much, and never running him outside, I thought that was bad. Not trying to utilize him more in the passing game, and not trying to get him some more different, unique runs, bring some other guys over. I know the offensive line was limited. We don't really have a fullback. You know, just trying some different things, especially in specific games. You can look at, like, the Bengals game specifically and be like, why didn't we run outside? And some stuff like that. So, uses of him. The uses of a guy like Robbie Anderson. You know, maybe not trying to throw the ball deep at times because that's what his specialty is. And just let Sam get back there and chuck it. 
Ty Montgomery, a guy that was supposed to be a jack-of-all-trades. He could be a wide receiver. He could be a running back. He could be a valuable addition in the offense. And there were points where we had no receivers playing well. We were playing guys like Joshua Bellamy at wide receiver, who, by the way, was just bad. And still, Ty Montgomery was never used as a wide receiver. He was a former receiver. He was hardly used as a running back. We would run Le'Veon Bell all the time. It just didn't feel like... It felt like we had weapons on our team, and Robbie Anderson with his speed, and Le'Veon Bell with his crazy catching ability, and Ty Montgomery with his versatility, and it felt like we weren't using those guys to those strengths. And that's something that you want your head coach to do. You want him to see the weapons, especially on his phase of the game, which is offense, and make sure that you put them in good positions. The way the backup quarterbacks played, really bad on Adam Gase's part. He did not look like he had Trevor Simeon, Luke Falk, or David Fales ready to play a single game this year. It felt like he mailed it in and like went into those games saying, well, we can't win this one, so let's just dump the ball to Le'Veon Bell on every play and see what happens. He didn't try trick stuff. He didn't try a lot of, you know, maybe those are the games that you start doing some wildcats, some different things. You start doing some jet sweeps and some motions and try to put guys into, you know, get the ball into guys' hands, maybe without using Luke Falk or Simeon. Maybe there's a way. But again, the in-game adjustments, not game planning well for those quarterbacks. It just didn't go well. So we had three quick losses right there. And then just stale gameplay from Adam Gase. It was stale. Some of the stuff you saw, it was just, ah, we're doing this same plays over and over. Stop running the same player through the same hole when the same offensive lineman can't block and throwing the same mesh pattern to Jamison Crowder. We know he runs a lot of those types of plays. But it just, at times, it felt stale. And it was like, if you're supposed to be some sort of offensive guru, some quarterback genius, some creative mind... Can we see a little bit more of it, please? Are you holding back for what? Like, what are you holding back for? You're doing it right now. And uh, so those are the things that were bad with Adam Gase this year. But going over the things that were good, because there's some stuff that was good with Adam Gase. Seven wins, an improvement. We're moving in the right direction, and we were 6-2 and two in the last eight games. That is good. I think one thing that used to drive me crazy with past coaches Pre-snap penalties, things like 12 men in the huddle, 12 men on the field, calling timeouts before play was snapped. We hardly did that this year. I mean, you, I think we all noticed a huge, drastic difference in the amount of like pre-snap penalties and pre-snap timeouts that the New York Jets had. I mean, that's some coaching that goes into that. How about the fact that through the second half of the season, Sam did cut down on the turnovers. When he came back from Mono, he was playing a little bit of hero ball. He was on his back foot, chucking it away. We were constantly were talking about that. He was throwing it from his back foot again. He's throwing bad throws. He's throwing it right to the defense. Guys aren't covered, or guys are covered, and he's still trying to chuck it in there. That was happening over and over. You noticed that as the year went on, he started throwing the ball away more and stopped, like, probably cut that interception number in half. I mean, that was coaching from Adam Gase. He worked with him, and he turned what was at that point Sam's biggest weakness and made it so much better. How about the fact that the offensive line did get better this year? It was so horrifically bad when it was Ryan Khalil, Kalecio Semele, Brian Winters when the season began. It was so bad. I mean, we got sacked nine times in a game twice. But then as the season went on, we moved in some new players. We had to use Alex Lewis and Jonathan Harrison. We had to use Chuma Adoga. Tom Compton played some. Brent Quayle played some. I mean... He moved guys around, and it actually got a little bit better. Run blocking never got good, but Sam Darnold was more upright, and the pass blocking was a little better. It's a really bad unit. All those guys have to be replaced, basically. So it's not like we ever had a good use. It's not like, well, we went from bad to good. No, we went from, like, absolutely horrible to, okay, at least Sam's not going to get killed right now. And that's a big thing, because 
it was a people were saying Sam Darnold can't go out there on this team when he was had mono. We have to keep him out. He can't play right now because he's going to get killed out there. Well, you know what? Adam Gates found a way to make some adjustments a little bit, and he didn't really get any injury scares this season. How about finding a couple of guys diamonds in the rough like Vincent Smith, who we on this podcast came to know as Big Play Vince. Seemed like every time when he touched the ball, it was a big play at the right time. And a couple times, it was a bad play at the wrong time. But they were always big plays for one team. And Ryan Griffin, a guy that was a nice, you know, back-end pickup by Joe Douglas, who was, we didn't have Chris Herndon. He was suspended for the first four games. How are we going to get through it? Ryan Griffin ended up putting together a really good year. And we didn't know that he was going to have to play all, well, he ended up playing like 13 games. We didn't know that Chris Herndon was going to pull a hammy right when he came back. But Griffin had a nice season. Bunch of touchdowns, some big plays, and he ended up getting another contract with the Jets through that play. So Adam Gase being able to use those weapons was good. Opening drives for Adam Gase. A lot of times, like especially the middle portion of the season, they were good. We came out with a nice scripted drive, moved the ball down the field and scored. That was an issue for the New York Jets. Not scoring on opening drives. Not scoring touchdowns on opening drives. These are things that he made better. And we could talk about the things that he did bad all we want. But he did cut down on the pre-snap penalties, the pre-snap timeouts. He did have good first opening drives. He did make Sam Darnold a little bit more conservative with the football and throw it into the dirt and not throw those bad picks. He did make the offensive line a little bit better with his coaching. And another one, this is one that just would drive me crazy with other coaches that we had. We used to give up on third and longs. It would be third and seven, third and eight, third and nine or longer, and we would throw the ball five, six yards on a curl pattern or a check down to a running back, and we'd not pick up the first down. And it feels like with Adam Gase, it doesn't happen nearly as much as it used to. It feels like on third and 10, we allow Sam Darnold to throw for 15 yards. That's something that drives a lot of people crazy. It's the reason people hated Tom, uh, Todd Haley, calling too many draw plays on third downs, you know, just giving the ball away. It's the reason that we hated Paul Hackett when he was the Jets' offensive coordinator. Too many draw plays on third down. The Hackett special. But Adam Gase didn't do that. He allowed Sam Darnold to do what he does, and we picked up some third downs here and there because of it. Were we good on third down? No, we were absolutely horrible on third down all season long for a bunch of different reasons. We did have a lot of third and longs, but we didn't just mail it in every time. At least we tried. We went for it, and we didn't just mail it in as much as it feels like we did with other teams. So there's some stuff that Adam Gase did well. Overall, it was not a good season for him. Um, the team didn't play very well, and there were times that we didn't look prepared and some games that we came out really flat that he has to make sure that at least he puts a decent team on the field every week and the guys that are playing their positions are ready to play those positions. Didn't always do that. So that wasn't good, but 7-9, and nine, we're not going to complain too, too much because we're still moving in the right direction. The year that we stay 7-9, and nine, we keep the same record we had the year before, or move back, have a worse record, we'll be upset, but we're getting better right now, so it's fair to assume that we will continue to get better, right? I would hope so. Next guy, Greg Williams. A lot of good here. The good stuff from Greg Williams this year, the defense was able to win games. The defense did some really nice stuff this year. I mean, if you look at the defensive rankings, this team was clearly defense-heavy in terms of success, and we won some big-time games because of that defense. Greg Williams deserves a lot of credit for what he did there. He got an all-pro in Jamal Adams. The best safety in the entire NFL is our guy, Jamal Adams. Great job coaching there. How about the use of middle linebacker? The way we had what was supposed to be Avery Williamson and C.J. Mosley, one of the best middle linebacking cores in the league, became just C.J. Mosley and Neville Hewitt, became Neville Hewitt and Blake Cashman, became Neville Hewitt and Albert McClellan, became James Burgess and Neville Hewitt. I mean, 
this thing was an absolute train wreck there, but somehow every single guy that went in there managed to find success. He made the middle linebacker position flourish all season long, and we didn't even need Darian Lee, who, by the way, had 31 total tackles combined, no sacks, no interceptions, and an absolutely piss-poor year for the Kansas City Chiefs. We got a sixth-round pick for that guy? Talk about a fleece. New York Jets, absolute winners. That was my, that was Adam Gase's move, by the way. Mike McKagan was gone, and Adam Gase's like, first move was, let's get rid of Jordan Leggett, let's get rid of Darren Lee. And right away, people are like, why is he doing this stuff? He shouldn't have this power. It's like, what? These are the greatest things that have ever happened to this team. We had great middle linebacker play, and we never would have had all these players if Adam Gase, in his like 48 hours as general manager, didn't get rid of Darren Lee. Little credit there as well, please. The use of the cornerbacks. I like that Greg Williams uh, used the cornerbacks. You know, I, I went into the season saying that we had some of the worst cornerbacks I could even imagine. I thought it was going to be so bad we were going to get torn apart in the passing game, and we didn't. We moved on from Trumaine Johnson. We basically moved on from Daryl Roberts. Even Nate Harrison, he had a sent, moved on from him. We were playing guys like Arthur Mollette, Maurice Kennedy, LaShawn Austin at the end of the season, and we were doing actually pretty well. They weren't the best quarterbacks in the whole league, no, but actually did serviceable gameplay. And that's, you got to give credit to that. I mean, we should have been horrible at that. I like the discipline of Greg Williams all season long. I like that when guys had bad games, he benched them. He took them out of the game. I know Jamal Adams didn't like that he got benched. He had a couple, you know, offsides or false starts penalty at the end of the, yeah, encroachment or offsides at the end of the game. He was benched for a couple plays. He got really mad about it. He didn't do that again for the rest of the year. Nate Hairston got benched when he was playing horribly. When he came back, he was playing better football. And Blashawn Austin, he had some bad football. He got benched. And the guy that came in after him played just as well in Maurice Kennedy. So I like the way he disciplined guys, held guys accountable, and said, you know, you do your job. You could look at the snap counts all year round. The defensive line kind of fluctuated. The outside linebacker fluctuated. Who he played at cornerback. Some weeks it would be this guy, some weeks that guy. I mean, there weren't that many mainstays in the snap counts, except for like Jamal Adams and Marcus May all year long. And he found a way to make it work with these guys. And then the number one thing from Greg Williams this year, the run stopping. Second best run defense in the NFL. Greg Williams, with this defensive line, they're able to trade away Leonard Williams, potentially their best defensive lineman, lose Quinn and Williams for a bunch of the season due to injuries. Henry Anderson injured at times, playing guys like Steve McClendon, Foley Fadakasi, Nathan Shepard, and Kyle Phillips. And coming out of this thing with the number two rush defense in the league, that's damn impressive. So good season from Greg Williams. The only bad thing that I have in that is the pass rush. I felt like we did not have a very good pass rush. Aside from Jamal Adams and Jordan Jenkins, we really couldn't get anything going in that front. We blitzed a lot of times. We didn't have enough creative blitzes to get after the quarterback and have a nice enough pass rush. I think that's one thing that I'd like them to improve on. We're going to need some new horses. We're going to need some new blitz designs, different packages. Maybe get guys in a little bit more, you know, successful situations. I think we didn't, you know, guys like Brian Poole, who was a really good blitzer for the Falcons when we got him, we hardly blitzed him. Some of the cornerback blitzes, others, you know, Marcus May blitzing him getting some of the outside linebackers in favorable positions. Some stuff that we didn't really do this year. Felt like we were, you know, consistently bringing back, rushing the three defensive linemen and the same two outside linebackers and not getting much pressure. So hopefully that gets a little bit better next year. Next coordinator, Dowell Loggins. The good thing he did this year, he threw a challenge flag. Bad thing he did this year was he didn't spike the challenge flag. Special teams coordinator is our guy Brant Boyer. His good year, punt return. Barrios did a really good job punt returning. 
I think we only fumbled two times in the return game. I don't believe we gave up a single touchdown in coverage, kick return or punt return. And there were minimal blocked kicks. Like we didn't get many of our kicks blocked this year. The bad, we didn't have any kicker success. And we couldn't punt the ball inside the five-yard line. We just, we can't find a way to pin a team on like the three, two, or one-yard line. Week after week, game after game. I watch any game and I watch like basically every single punter find a way to get the ball, a perfect punt, and go to the one-yard line. And the guy stops it, picks it up right there. And you're like, wow, one heck of a punt. Lock Edwards did that like one time this entire season. I mean, he literally never did that. And that's something that we'd like to improve on. Of course, kicker, we had a horrible kicking season. And that's something that we got to improve on. That's one guy more than like an entire unit. I think not giving up a, a touchdown, not fumbling the ball on special teams is, is a much more team. It, it speaks way more of Brant Boer and the special teams unit. You know, that's 11 guys not allowing a touchdown. It's 11 guys making sure, you know, that someone's not getting to the end zone or blocking a punt or blocking a kick. When it comes to kicking, everything can be done right. Hold, snap, blocking. But then one ficking guy can just miss. And that happened a lot this year. So that is our coaching staff. And now before I move to the next segment, which I believe is team rankings and team stats, I will confirm that that is what it is. Before we get there, I'm going to take a quick pit stop at the cooler for a little bit of what's on tap. That is right, folks. This is the section called what's on tap. The section of the episode where I talk about the alcoholic beverage that I'm consuming while recording this podcast because you know as a Jets fan, if you're talking about this team, especially on a season like this, you got to be drinking. And this week, I got something a little bit weird. We have a New Year's Eve party at this house every year. Been hosting it since 2012. And this year, no different. But And when you have a party, everybody always like brings their own booze. And then they leave all sorts of stuff behind. So you get a mix mash of everything. And sometimes it's really good. And sometimes it's really bad. Today, I got one of the bad. This is called a Crook and Marker Spiked and Sparkling Grapefruit Seltzer. So somebody left this at my house, and you're wondering, Dan, why did you drink this? And why have you had like four or five seltzers on these What's on Tap segments through 50-something episodes? Well, one, I for some reason keep finding myself surrounded by these spiked seltzers. Somebody's leaving them in my fridge. Someone's leaving them in it. Whatever it is. People are bringing these things over to my house, and then I've never had them before, never reviewed them before, and I think, oh, well, that might be a fun thing to try. And then I drink it, and it's like, this thing is just not that good. And this case is no different. And I saw it, and I was like, well, I've never talked about this, and I've never had it. It might be a fun experience. But it tastes just like the other ones, maybe a little bit sweeter. And it says zero sugar, made with organic alcohol. But it tastes like there's a bunch of sugar, and it doesn't even taste like there's alcohol. Again, the brand is Crook and Marker, and it's got all sorts of weird stuff like quinoa and ancient grains. It's gluten-free, yada yada. They're like talking up a storm about how great this thing is. It's only 4% alcohol, which is nowhere near enough if you're going to if you're going to, you know, blast through one of these things, you want it to be 6, 7% alcohol, really start doing some damage. This is 4.0. It's like less than a Bud Light. So that's a bummer. 80 calories. That's kind of exciting. But when you have to drink seven of them to get like a buzz, it's not that exciting because then you're at like 540 calories and you're just feeling a little bit okay. I'd rather just take a couple shots of whiskey. But the big thing that I have an issue with this is with these seltzers, and I know, I keep drinking them, I keep bringing them on here, but this is my new issue, is that this is the easiest mixed drink you could possibly make at your house. Seltzer costs nothing. Vodka, you just pour a little bit of vodka into a glass of seltzer, and you have something that is cheaper than this and tastes way better than this, and you can control the alcohol, 
You can control all that stuff. Why in the world would I want to pay like, I don't know, 16 bucks for a 12 pack of these things to just have extra sweet artificial fake seltzer and, and vodka mixes? It doesn't really make any sense, but people continue to bring them over. I have vodka here. I have seltzer here. I have a whole bar cart, a bunch of nice glasses. If you're listening to this and you come to my house, you don't have to bring these anymore. Just make it. It's way better. So that is what's on tap. Crook and Marker Spiked and Sparkling Grapefruit Seltzer. I am hoping, I think this is the one that like puts the nail in the coffin here. I would like to retire Spiked Seltzers or any of their brands or alternatives or flavors for this podcast. I don't want to bring them on here anymore. I don't want to talk about them anymore. I don't even want to drink them anymore. I'm sure at some point it'll be what's left in the fridge and I'll bring it back. But ideally right now it's the last time we're talking about this stuff. All right, so how about a quick commercial? All right, the next thing that we got to talk about on this podcast is the Jets season ranks and team stats. So what does that mean for us? Well, all season long, we basically talked about the same things in team stats. We talked about third down percentage. We talked about turnover differential, penalties. We talked about time of possession. I don't have time of possession numbers but I got the other three. Third down percentage, the Jets finished this year, you guessed it, 31st in the league at 31%. Now, yes, Luke Falk, Trevor Simeon, and David Fales skewed that number, but 31% and 31st in the league is horrible. That is something that's super important. The New York Jets have to work on it. Turnover differential, we added 23rd in the league at minus four. We were closer to zero than you might have thought. We didn't actually turn the ball over that many times. As bad as Luke Falk and Trevor Simeon were, they really didn't turn the ball over that much because they weren't really trying to do anything. They never tried to throw the ball downfield, so they hardly ever threw interceptions. I'm surprised we didn't fumble more considering how many times we got sacked with those guys in there. But the end of it, minus four is where we ended. We didn't force a ton of turnovers. We didn't get a bunch of pass rush. We didn't get a bunch of picks from any one player. Pretty low numbers on both sides of the ball. But minus four is where it ends up. Penalties. The Jets had the 10th most penalties in the league with the 5th most penalty yards. These are things that we were looking at from week 1 through week 17. We looked all year long at these specific numbers saying these are the things that we have to work on. Penalties, 3rd down efficiency, and turnover differential. And turnover differential wasn't horrible, 23rd in the league, but the 5th most penalty yards and the 31st ranked 3rd down percentage efficiency is just really bad. It's just, (laughs) there's no other way to put it. Those are the things we care about. I specifically care about. Those are the things that we did horrible in. So next year, those numbers had better be better. All right, season ranks. Just real quick going through this so you guys can get a feel for where we were. Offense, spoiler alert, was way worse than our defense was. When you talk about offense, the New York Jets total yards as a team, 32nd in the league. Points, 31st. We were sacked the fourth most times in the NFL. Passing yards, we ranked 29th, and rushing yards, we ranked 31st. So across the board, horrible offense. Defensively, total yards allowed, 7th best in the league. Points allowed, 16th best, middle of the pack. How many sacks did we get? We only got 35 sacks to finish at 23rd in the league. Passing yards allowed, 17th in the league, somehow with those cornerbacks and no pass rush. And rushing yards allowed, second in the league. 
second only to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who had a freakishly good run defense. Great statistics all year. I don't know how they did it, but it was awesome. So did you see that? The defense was way better than the offense. The defense carried the offense, the reason that we were 7-9. and nine. Primarily, the credit goes to Greg Williams, though. As coaches, if stuff goes bad, you blame the coach. When things go well, 7-9, and nine, you got to give him credit, too. He is the head coach of this team. When you go to special teams real quick, field goal percentage, we were 68% on field goals. 68%. 31st in the league. Horrible. Even extra points, we were 31st in the league on that, too, at 85%. I mean, we'll win games having a better kicker next year. That alone will help us win a game or two. Punting yards, we had the most punting yards in the league. Now, that's not necessarily a good thing. That just basically means that we punted more than everybody else, and Lachlan Edwards didn't have a wimpy little shrimp leg. More important would be, like, your punt net average, 12th in the league. So, bad average. We didn't allow any touchdowns punting the ball. And our punt return average for Braxton Berrios, second in the league at 11.4 yards per per punt return attempt. That was basically all Braxton Berrios. So that's a really good job to him. Rookie coming in there, picked up from the Patriots, their old scraps, and he gets the second best punt return average in the league. Props to Berrios. Now... I don't really want to go through all of the player stats. There were some player stats that I think are worth mentioning. Things like Sam Darnold. He ended with 3,024 passing yards, so he did eclipse 3,000 yards. He had 19 touchdowns this year, which is more than last year. He only had 13 interceptions. He had a bunch of fumbles, but didn't lose that many of them. I think he fumbled 11 times. Uh, he had a 6.9 yard per attempt average, which is pretty good. And 62% completion percentage, which is also pretty good. It's an improvement. He didn't play great all season long. He had flashes where he was amazing. He had a couple games where he was almost perfect. He had a couple games that left a lot on the table. He saw ghosts at one point. We remember that. But across the board, Sam Darnold had a better year. He's trending up, and he's still super young. He's still younger than guys like Burroughs and Jones. I mean, this guy, the sky's the limit for Sam Darnold still. We saw it this year. He's continuing to get better, and that's not going to stop. Every other quarterback did horrible for the Jets. When it came to rushing the ball... 789 rushing yards for Le'Veon Bell with three touchdowns. The next best was Bilal Powell with 229 rushing yards, no touchdowns. So running the ball, really not that good this year. We finished with a 3.3 yard per carry average. Really not, I mean, you, you heard the numbers offensively. We were the 31st ranked rush offense. Those numbers, not very good. Le'Veon Bell did end with a total of 481 or 461 receiving yards and a touchdown there. So he did get more than 1,000 yards from scrimmage. If you were looking at that barometer, I thought he was going to get, when the season began, I said that Chris Herndon was going to lead the team in touchdowns. And I said that Le'Veon Bell was going to have more than 2,000 yards from scrimmage and Robbie Anderson was going to break 1,000 yards receiving. And I was wrong on every single one of those. Robbie Anderson ended this season with only 779 receiving yards, five touchdowns total. It's not his best season ever. In four seasons, this ranks to basically be Robbie Anderson's second best season with the New York Jets. It's four seasons in the league. He's now an unrestricted free agent, can sign anywhere, and probably will be looking for somewhere between 10 and $13 million. Yikes, so we'll see what we can do there. Jamison Crowder was our best receiving player. He had 833 receiving yards and six touchdowns. He led the team in receiving touchdowns. He led the team in total touchdowns for any uh, skill position player other than Sam Darnold. And Jamison Crowder led the team in receptions, and he led the team in receiving yards. So that was a really good season from him. Um, 
We didn't have a single 1,000-yard running back. We didn't have a single 1,000-yard receiver. I mean, Ryan Griffin was our best tight end with 320 receiving yards and five touchdowns. It was a nice season, but it wasn't like, you know, it's not some Travis Kelsey, George Kittle season. We're not going to kid ourselves. It was just pretty solid. So offensively, our ranks were horrible. We didn't get a ton done. Defensively, there were some good performances. Their sack leaders this year were Jordan Jenkins with eight, Jamal Adams with six and a half. Interceptions, the most the New York Jets had this year was two, and that came from Neville Hewitt at middle linebacker. We also had picks for C.J. Mosley, week one, you remember. Nate Hairston had one, Trumaine Johnson, Terrell Basham, Arthur Mollette. Marcus May, Brian Poole, Daryl Roberts, James Burgess, and Jamal Adams had a pick six against the Patriots. Everybody, all those guys had one. The only guy that had two was Neville Hewitt in the inside. Uh, when you talk about quarterback hits, you had the most from Jamal Adams and Jordan Jenkins again. 13 QB hits each. We forced two safeties of the defense this year. One by James Burgess and the other by Brian Poole. We had a couple touchdowns. Brian Poole had that pick six. Jamal Adams had that pick six. And then Jamal Adams also had that strip sack on Daniel Jones that he returned for a touchdown saying, give me that. So great seasons there. Your leading tackler on the team was James Burgess with 80, followed by Jamal Adams with 75, and then Neville Hewitt with 72. So those middle linebackers that were plugged in play, moving around all season long, ended up with some pretty good numbers. And then, uh, you know, everything else, kind of just pedestrian-type numbers, some standard stuff. From the rest of the unit, we had some sacks from some other guys. I guess we should mention a few of those. We ended up with uh, three sacks from Neville Hewitt. We ended up with a sack and a half from Kyle Phillips. Two and a half sacks for Quinn and Williams. Two sacks for Terrell Basham. Two for Nathan Shepard. And aside from that, it was just one and half for everybody else. So we only ended with 35 total sacks. We wanted to get to 40. That's kind of my number that I like to see for a successful pass rush team. As a unit, it doesn't matter if one guy gets 15 and the rest get two or everybody on the team gets four. If you're getting somewhere around 40 sacks, it's usually a pretty good barometer for success there. We fell short this year. We're going to have to improve that next year. But a couple of good performances there. If you're looking for more specific player stats, you can find them on any website, NFL, ESPN. Uh, Pro Football Reference is what I use for these ones. But, um, yeah, I want to go over more. Instead of going over the stats for these players individually like we've done all year, I want to go over more who impressed us this year and who didn't impress us. You know, which players overachieved? And who underachieved? We had a long list of guys this year, and regardless of their talent level, there was a certain expectation for each one coming into here. By us, by the coaching staff, by whomever, by themselves. And a few of them did better than anybody thought. Some of them did worse. Let's talk about that. Offensively, who impressed us? Sam Darnold impressed me all year long because he's getting better. He's the franchise quarterback for this team. I love having him. He's awesome. He didn't say a single bad thing in any interview all year long. The only thing that you could say was he said he saw ghosts once when he was mic'd up. It shouldn't have been released. He was playing a game really poorly against the New England Patriots. Other than that, a perfect everything from Sam Darnold. Maybe he didn't have to kiss that girl and get mono, but you can't blame the kid. He's a New York quarterback. This guy's a freaking star. He's getting there. Great season from Sam Darnold. Can't wait to see more of him. He's he's awesome. Another guy that impressed on offense, Jamison Crowder. Because we talked about him leading the team in receiving yards, receptions, and touchdowns. But the big thing with him was when we got him, it was like he's good, but he gets injured a lot. He doesn't play a lot of full seasons. And if we could keep him healthy, he could be a really good, valuable weapon for Sam. Clearly, it was the guy that he trusted the most. He was the guy that had the most receptions. And you know, 
on a in a season where basically every single player on the team got injured, somehow injury prone, we thought Jamison Crowder managed to stay healthy for the entire season. So really good on him. Good season. I would say good season for Robbie Anderson because he was close to his career high in receiving yards, close to his career high in touchdowns, and he had to play a lot of the season with Luke Falk. Not a lot, but he had to play more than he ever wanted to with Luke Falk, David Vales, and Trevor Simeon, Sam Darnold with Mono, and a new offense that just really never got the ball in his hands, but it felt like when he was throwing the ball, he went up strong. He had a pretty solid year, and especially down the stretch in that middle portion to the end of the season, he got on fire, started playing really well, and he's a guy that, you know, you got to, for what he's worth, he's an undrafted guy, drafted by the Jets, who's making very, very minimal money for the New York Jets and has for his entire career here, and he's turning in some pretty solid numbers, and he's going to be warranting an $11, $12 million contract per year. I mean, the guy, he had a pretty solid season. He impressed me. I think he proved that he's worth one of those contracts. Ryan Griffin, he was a guy that was impressive because we didn't have a tight end when Chris Herndon was suspended and then out for the whole year. Ryan Griffin stepped in ahead of Trevon Wesco and Daniel Brown. And Ryan Griffin put together a pretty good year. Five touchdowns, over 300 yards, had good chemistry with Sam Darnold. Dropped one ball that I really wish we could have had back. But other than that, he played nice, good football for the Jets before getting injured. And ended up getting an extension because of it. The last guy on offense that I'll say impressed, Vincent Smith. Not because he had a great, consistent year all the way through, but he had a few big plays that were super impressive. I mean, he almost won us, he basically won us a game against Miami, where he ran down the sideline, got us in the field goal range right there. Um, he had a couple really nice, big returns in the kick game. He had a couple other big catches. He had, like, one of our first touchdowns of the year when we were playing those backup quarterbacks and could not find the end zone. He had an end around to score, and it was like, who? Vincent Smith is the guy that breaks the seal for touchdowns? I mean, all year long, Vincent Smith, he became... Big play Vince. And, you know, you only expect so much from a guy that on the depth chart started behind Jamison Crowder, Quinton Nunwa, Robbie Anderson, Joshua Bellamy, Demarius Thomas, and probably Braxton Berrios as well. And Vincent Smith moved his way up from basically seventh or eighth on the depth chart to third when the season ended. It was like Robbie Anderson, Jamison Crowder, and Vincent Smith were the guys, basically. So good job to him. Defensively, guys that stood out, who impressed us this year, who overachieved? Foley Fadakasi, Kyle Phillips, those two guys in the defensive line specifically, they were anchors. They were moved around on defense. They were guys that we weren't expecting much of. A really late round pick in Foley Fadakasi, an undrafted free agent in Kyle Phillips. And we were like, all right, these guys are on the roster. We're not thinking we're going to get much from them. They ended up becoming like mainstay guys that we are happy to build around next year because they're great at run stuffing. They clog the holes well. They play physical. They play strong, fast, and those guys are powerful, nice defensive linemen that are making almost no money. Super impressive from what we got from them. Then talking about the middle linebacker, James Burgess, who came in, led the team in tackles starting on like, I think it was like October 24th. He was activated, started playing for the Jets like more than a month and a half into football. The guy gets the most tackles on the team, has a couple picks, forces a safety, sack, across the board, making things happen. And he was like our sixth option there. Remember, Darren Lee totaled 30 tackles no other stats. Burgess, half a season, 80 tackles, sacks, interceptions, fumble recovery, safeties, you know, and he's the sixth guy on the team. So what does that tell you? Uh, the other middle linebacker, Neville Hewitt. These are guys that you have to remember when you talk about like impressed. I'm not saying that these guys are better than Luke Keekley. I'm saying that they were our what fourth string linebacker and James Burgess was our sixth or seventh string linebacker. 
and these guys played really good minutes for the Jets. It should have been Avery Williamson with C.J. Mosley all season long, sprinkling in some young Blake Cashman, and maybe, maybe Neville Hewitt, like, at most 7% of snaps in a given week. If everybody was healthy, that's what it was going to be. But Neville Hewitt was forced to play 100% of snaps week after week after week, and he did pretty well. He stuffed the stat sheet a few weeks. He had a couple really nice performances. Sure, he got picked on in the passing game here and there. He's not the strongest linebacker in the world, but you know what? The guy did really well when called on. He didn't make it a weakness. At no point with Neville Hewitt at middle linebacker was that a big weakness for the Jets where it's like, ah, we need somebody else in there. He can't do the job. I mean, maybe someone else felt like that, but I didn't. I think Terrell Basham's another guy, the outside linebacker, who early in the season kind of flashed. He was getting after the quarterback a lot, and then he kind of disappeared in the beginning of the season. But then at the end, he started flashing again. And he's a young guy in that defensive line who's not getting paid a whole ton. That if you can keep him and get him on the roster, I mean, this is a guy that, you know, he's probably not going to start 90% of snaps, but playing situationally 20 to 40% of snaps, maybe 50. And this guy was serviceable. He looks like he's getting better and improving and... I think it was a pretty good year for Terrell Basham, a guy that going in, we didn't expect a whole lot from. Then some of the big name guys that had good years. Jordan Jenkins, eight sacks, led the team in sacks. Every year, I've said when the season began, he's our best pass rusher. He's still our best pass rusher. He's a free agent now, but this guy can set an edge. He can bull rush. He's getting a little bit better on his technique. He plays every single play. He's a good, strong team leader, really nice, serious professional guy. And he gets, you know, he continues to raise his total sack number. And this year was his career high with eight. Another guy that really impressed, Brian Poole. We thought we had horrible corners going in. He went into the slot to replace what would have been Perry Nickerson. Brian Poole played great all season long in the slot. He was probably our best cornerback week after week. He had a pick six, some really nice games. He never got picked on or exposed. He was one of PFF's highest graded slot cornerbacks for a long period of the year. And uh, Brian Poole was a guy that we did not invest too much in. Just a one-year deal, small contract from the Atlanta Falcons where they let him go. I mean, he way, way overachieved the contract that he was given. And we'll see what he gets next year. It'll certainly be more than he got this year. Marcus May, a guy that at times I gave him a little bit of criticism for not being as physical as he was when he was a rookie or second-year player. But he got really good towards the end of the year. We hardly gave up any big plays. And the most important thing at all, of all, he played every single snap this year, basically, on defense. He was 100%. I don't have the actual figures in front of me right now, but I, he was over 98% of total snaps at safety this year, which is awesome. I mean, he's a guy that we thought, like, is he ever going to be healthy? It's like Quincy Nunez. Quincy Nunez came back and then led the entire team in snap percentage. You'd be like, wait a minute, what? I didn't think this guy could play. And that's essentially what Marcus May did. And he had a good year doing it and closed the year out strong, so... Him next to the last guy that really impressed on defense, Jamal Adams, all pro. What do you need to say? The guy can rush. The guy can cover. The guy can hit hard. The guy fires everybody else up, recruits players to this team, has fun, likable quotes and things like that. Yes, he puts his foot in his mouth a few times here and there when he says stuff uh, about other teams or the New York Jets, whatever. He gets emotional because he wears his heart on his sleeve. At the end of the day, he's probably the best safety in the NFL he was drafted by the New York Jets, and uh, it's like you finally did it. We drafted a guy that was that's the best in the position in the entire NFL. We drafted him, and then people are talking about like, oh, maybe we should resign him, maybe we should get rid of him. It's like, come on, you finally get the guy. What's the whole point of the draft? If the Jets draft uh, a cornerback 
in the draft this year? Are you planning on like trading him two years in if he's the best player in the league? No, you're like, oh, I can't wait to get one and then have him for years and years. Well, you know what had happened at safety? Now people are like, well, it's not a premium position, so you don't really want to pay it. It's like, first of all, if you don't want to pay it, then why will anybody pay it? Because you do want to pay it. Somebody will. And two, if it's not a premium position, why would you draft him to begin with? Like, if it's not worth it, then why would we draft him at pick six? And why did everybody else have him on the board top six picks in the league going into that draft? And this guy is a game changer. He's clearly a game changer, an all-pro. Great year to Jamal Adams. He was the best player on the team by far. And I don't know if he's going to hold out eventually. I don't think he's going to hold out this offseason. He may hold out the season after. The Jets will probably have to put up some money or shut up, you know, either keep him here or ship him out. It's going to have to be a decision there. But I think for one more year, we don't have to worry about it. I think he's just coming back green and white next year. One more full season of Jamal Adams. Let's see what we can get out of him. And then we'll talk money. We'll talk whatever he's worth and everything after that. It's probably going to be the most high-paid safety in the NFL. So brace yourselves for that contract. Now, the last guy that impressed, special teamer, Braxton Berrios. We had with the second-best punt return average in the NFL with a rookie and we all know, I always say, rookie punt returns mess up. They muff punts. They drop kicks. They make mistakes. He had one. He never did it again. Other than that, he caught everything cleanly. He fair caught at the right time. He got out of the way when he let balls hit the ground. And when he and when he had space, he returned them. And I heard some people saying that, like, this guy fair catches way too much. He doesn't try to return anything. I thought he, he showed some cojones this year. I thought a few of those he caught, and it was like, oh, he's probably maybe going to get three, four, five yards on this one, and he'd pull out 12, 15 yarders. He had a couple really nice returns. He's not the biggest guy, not the fastest guy. But, like, some dudes hit 11-yard averages on, like, receiving or returns because they have a couple 60, 70, 80 yarders that skew all the numbers, and it's like, all right, they had three yard, three yard, three yard, then 100 yards, so your average is, like, 20 yards now. But with Braxton Berrios, it was just like almost always 12 yards, it felt like. And my gauge for good punt returning is like 7, 8, 9 yards. When you get 11, that's really good. I mean, second best in the league good. So great season from Braxton Berrios. Now, who sucked? This is the list of players that we thought were going to be good or better than they were, and they really let us down. The entire offensive line. But namely, Brian Winters, who's way overpaid and needs to go. Kelechi Osemele who was a horrible mistake to bring in, came in injured, then made horrible headlines for the team when he was upset that he was forced to play when he's making $11 million. And it's like, dude, we want you to play. And he's like, no, I'm not going to play. And that was a whole big thing. And then Ryan Khalil, who came in, made $8 million and did awful. Those three guys, between the three of them, make like $27 million and played horrible football. Winters, Osemele, and Khalil all did awful. Bad, bad seasons for so much money. Next guy, Chris Herndon. Now, I know he was injured, so it's like, well, how can you blame a guy for being injured? Well, one, he was suspended the first four games because he had a DUI driving over 100 miles an hour and flipping a car and hitting an old dude. So he's suspended there. And then he finally comes back, and he pulls a hamstring like his second practice, which means he probably wasn't working out. We don't want to assume too much. But when you get a DUI like that, then you come back, and you're injured and miss the entire season. Well... He had a pretty bad year. It was also his second year in the leagues. This was like supposed to be a big growth year for him. Now he's coming back year three, and all he's got is like that first season under his belt. I mean, he's way behind right now. He's way behind the other guys from that draft class. And guys about his age. And he came in with some injury concerns from Miami, 
and he certainly still has him now with his hamstring. Another offensive players that really didn't impress us, backup quarterbacks. Horrible play. I thought Trevor Simeon was a great signing. It was like, well, we got a guy that if Sam Darnold ever needs to miss a game, Trevor Simeon can come in and he can potentially win you a game. Not only can Trevor Simeon not win you a game, he probably can't pick up a first down. He can't be in this NFL anymore. He cannot be the Jets' backup quarterback. He needs to go. Luke Falk was probably even worse. David fails. The reason that he looks scared is because he's worried that he's going to have to play, and he knows exactly what that's going to look like. Next offensive uh, player that didn't impress us, Trevon Wesco. We traded up, we traded back, we moved around this draft pick over and over, we finally settle, and Mike McCagnan drafts Trevon Wesco, and in a year where every tight end on this Jets team was given an opportunity, with Herndon out, Griffin going to IR, and a journeyman Daniel Brown as the only real competition on the team, Trevon Wesco could not separate himself in blocking, receiving, or anything on this roster. He is the new Jordan Leggett. Maybe he can block a little bit better. We'll see. He's got one more year to show us something. Otherwise, he is out of here. And you know what? If you got good tight ends and next year you find some free agent guy who plays pretty well, nobody's ever heard of him, but you got Ryan Griffin, Chris Herndon, and some other no-name guy who was an undrafted free agent, and he's playing better, Wesco may be out this year. And the last one, Joshua Bellamy, a.k.a. Bezo, who got a lot of hype coming into this thing because he was a special teamer that got a pretty big contract and could also play wide receiver and was a veteran and had some flash to him. This guy was horrible. He hardly played for us. When he did, he was not a noticeable special teams difference. And when he played wide receiver, he dropped the ball. He had a couple catches this year. That's about it. He was a waste of a couple million dollars. And Joshua Bellamy should not be back on this roster. He is just frankly not worth anything. Defensively, Brandon Copeland. He let us down because he missed a few games for steroids, and when he came back, he never seemed to be as good as he was last year. There were a few games last year where I thought he was the best defensive player in the game. This year, he didn't flash really once. Trumaine Johnson. We're paying him way too much money, and he can't do anything. We're benching him for players that we've never heard of who also can't play well just because he's that bad and we can't bear to watch it anymore. So Trumaine Johnson, a huge issue right now. I think Henry Anderson kind of disappointed a little bit because he had a really good year last year and we paid him a lot of money. We kind of paid him like he was going to have last year's season again, but then he didn't have that. He had a worse season this year than the year before, and we paid him like we were expecting to get it, and we didn't. So to me, Henry Anderson still had a pretty good year overall, but like when you're paying him $7 million a year, $8 million a year, you expect a little bit more, and he probably didn't live quite up to that. So hopefully we get a little bit more next year. Daryl Roberts, another guy that got a contract that was supposed to be able to come in here and be maybe the number two cornerback for the New York Jets. He does not seem up for that job. Daryl Roberts was probably worse than Arthur Mollette, Blashawn Austin, Maurice Kennedy, and arguably Nate Hairston. Daryl Roberts, sure, we asked him to do some really grunt-type work, playing safety when Jamal Adams was injured, moving around the field, filling in. We didn't have any pass rush. It was tough for him, but Daryl Roberts had a lot of penalties and not a lot of great plays. Matthias Farley was a guy that I thought was going to be really good. I thought he was a backup safety. The Jets got from the Indianapolis Colts, and I was like, this guy has played starting minutes. He's going to be a difference maker. Marcus May played great. Jamal Adams played great. Matthias Farley really never played, and like the only couple plays that he did play, he gave up a touchdown. And I was like, okay, well, so bummer there. And then Frankie Luvu, who was a guy that we were happy to bring back. He was practice squad at one point, back on the roster, super young. We thought maybe he could be a situational pass rusher. He flashed a little bit last season when he was super young. 
a little bit older now. He flashed even less this year. And you got to remember, this is a team where your outside linebackers are Jordan Jenkins, Terrell Basham, it was Harvey Lange, it was uh, Brandon Copeland, it was Frankie Louvo. I mean, there's a ton of opportunity to make a name for yourself there. And he's getting, like, at the end of the season, 4% of snaps or less. You got to be... You got to be able to separate yourself a little bit more than that if you want to last in this NFL. He may be gone next year and uh, definitely didn't impress us. And then special teams, two guys really. Kari Vedvik, the first kicker, who lost us a game against the Bills, and Sam Ficken, the second kicker, who led us to the 31st best field goal percentage in the NFL and the 31st best extra point percentage in the NFL. Sam Ficken had one good moment where he had a game-winning kick and it was like, maybe... But now we all know he's bad. He's not back on this team next year. He will probably never kick in the NFL again. And at the percentages that he had, he's probably not really even ready to be an XFL kicker. I mean, his numbers were horrible. Like, worst in the NFL bad on a team that couldn't kick worth anything. So unfortunately, there were moments where we liked him. They are gone. Those are the players that did not impress us. So this podcast has gone a bit over time. I was thinking it was going to be 30, 40 minutes. We're more at like an hour 15. It's okay. We're having fun. We're talking New York Jets. That's what we do. But we got to get to our last segment, which is naming the MVP from the three phases of the game. And I think they're pretty obvious. I mean, you heard my tone during this podcast. Our offensive MVP for the New York Jets, Jamison Crowder. A guy that came in somewhat injury-prone, some question marks, but got a decent contract. Coming over here from the Washington Redskins, he leads the team in receptions, receiving yards, and touchdowns, becomes Sam Darnold's favorite target, breaks the Jets' record for uh, receptions for a wide receiver in a game, and had what looked to be a really, really good first year that he's going to build on moving forward with Sam Darnold. I think that there's other players that played well. Robbie, Le'Veon Bell, you know, not as good as he could have been, but he was really impressive at times. Sam Darnold had a good year, but nobody was just consistently the guy like Jamison Crowder. Defensively, we all know the defensive MVP is one president, Jamal Adams. The guy almost broke the uh, defensive back record for sacks in the season. He had two touchdowns for us, forced fumbles, interception. He had six and a half sacks. He was tackling all over the field, knocking guys around, making people uncomfortable, pass deflections, and he was flashy doing it the whole way. Jamal Adams is an absolute stud safety. He is ridiculously good. I mean, for everybody that watched 16 Jets games, you had the privilege of watching the best safety in the entire NFL. Maybe you didn't watch all the Bears games. Maybe you didn't watch all the Chargers games. But if you want to know what the best safety in the league looks like, you didn't have to watch any other teams. You just had to watch Jamal Adams all year. He freaking rocks. He's going to get a massive contract in a year or two. And then, special teams MVP? Not going to be kicker. Lachlan Edwards, he's okay. Kick return game, had nothing going there. Who's it going to be? It's going to be the guy, Braxton Berrios. And there was a point where I was like, he fumbled the ball. Maybe his leash is running out. His time at the Jets, it's hard to say. You're going to trust a rookie that fumbles the ball twice? Probably not. But when it's once, that's your one mistake. He made up for it after that, catching everything cleanly and having the second, leading the Jets team to the second best punt return average in the entire NFL. Braxton Berrios is your special teams MVP. So yeah, that's what's going on 
with these New York Jets. That is basically our recap. We went over coaching. We went over the players, the team stats, the ranks. We picked our favorite players, who did well, who didn't do well. All that's left to do really now is keep moving forward with this podcast in future weeks and talk about what's coming up in 2020. There's a lot of stuff. We got March 18th, free agency begins. Tampering period begins on the 16th. That's probably when free agency will really begin. So we're like almost two months away from that. Two and a half months away from the NFL draft, the end of April. And then shortly after that, like training camp start beginning. I mean, we got the combine, what, February 24th or something? So it's all going to start happening. It's all going to be stuff that we're going to keep an eye on. And I really want to get into, you know, who are the Jets' upcoming free agents? What players can we be looking at? What kind of salary cap do we have? What's Joe Douglas going to do? I want to look at, you know, potential trade scenarios, things like that. And then from there, the draft. Who are we looking at? What positions do we need? Where can we find those guys? First round, second round, you know, day two, day three targets perhaps. And then start prepping for position battles. We got a lot. The offseason, it's going to be a dialed back schedule. I've been doing every week, aside from the holidays, I did every week, every Tuesday uh, podcast. I probably now will be something more like every month. You know, every three weeks, every four weeks, something like that is when I'll do a podcast. So maybe three, four weeks I'll do one, talk about free agency because that'll be pretty close then. And then after that I'll do one for the draft. Then I'll do one after the draft, recapping that, recap free agency, all that stuff. So, you know, as I would say monthly would be what I would guess, but as there's information and stuff going on available, expect a podcast shortly after when it's when it's really good. Hour 15 minutes of just me talking good. Um, like a draft, like a free agency. I may get a, one of my buddies on for a podcast, just talk Jets, try something a little different, you know, break up the, uh, the because I don't want to completely disappear. I got Jets thoughts all year round, even though they're not playing. And it's nowhere near as fun to listen to now when there's nothing going on, especially when you're watching other teams play and like the draft seems so far away. It's like, ugh, we got to wait through all this stuff. So let's just find a way, talk Jets, maybe bring my buddy on, get him on for a podcast or two, just hear his thoughts and uh, and share some stuff. But yeah, that's kind of what is upcoming with this podcast and you can look for updates i always usually post something saying like when i'm going to post an episode or what the agenda is on twitter so again it's at jets underscore dan follow me there feel free to ask questions mailbag questions anything you want to submit or just talk to your jets via twitter or, or on gangrenation.com and since i've got really nothing left to go over in this one this is the jet life can officially end the 2019 season Thank you for joining me all season long. I had a great time doing this. We were only 7-9, and nine, and I actually only got to cover this for five of the wins and all of the losses because I missed those two Bills and Steelers games during the holidays. But next year, guaranteed there's going to be more. Bright days ahead of this team. Lots of fun. I can't wait to keep doing the podcast. Keep going through this with me. New York Jets fans, stay strong. Better days ahead. I'm Dan Burnham, and this is The Jet Life. <laughs>